This week in episode 52 of Tumble Vision, Kevin and I are joined by writer Paul Ford, a.k.a. ftrain.com. We talk about topics as wide-ranging as viewing the Egyptian protests as a live Facebook group or is life imitating digital, the impact of the AOL HuffPo merger on blogging, and is Ariana Huffington a Tumblr? And the ultimate question of the internet, why wasn't I consulted? Hello, everybody. Welcome to Tumble Vision, episode 52. That's right, 52. We have done an entire year of episodes, even though we've been on the air more than a year. You do the math. Uh, welcome to Tumble Vision, everyone. Uh, it's a weekly salon-style podcast about the art and science of engaging and collaborating in a networked age. Each week, we explore the impact of tumbling on business, culture, and technology with the smart, smart folks creating this new world. In our minds, tumbling is all about answering the question, how do you collaborate in a network age? How do you run things when life is not a bunch of command and control hierarchies? Answer, you tumble. And the show is hosted by yours truly, Deb Schultz, a social web advocate and sort of business tumbler. And I am uh, this week coming to you from sunny, warm San Francisco in the middle of uh, February. And I have Kevin Marks, our other guest, our other host. Hi there. I'm also in San Francisco today. And it's sunny, but not quite so warm. I think I'm on the shady side of the street. <laughs> that could be very true. And our third cohort, Heather Gold, unfortunately couldn't be with us this evening. She will be back next week. And our guest this week is Paul Ford. Paul, why don't you say hi? Hi. Hi. Where are you at? I am in Brooklyn, New York. And, and, and what's your, what do you, how do you describe yourself in connection with the Internet we love so much? I am the Internet. Oh, you're I, the guy. I'm that guy. No, I, uh, like so many, um, I was just hanging around in college one day in 1990, <clears throat> and uh, somebody came up and said, you got to check this out. It's called Mosaic, and it only runs on the Sun workstations. Uh, so I just, I, I dated it. I did it. Now you know who I am. And uh, that was it. That was love. And I tried to, I remember trying to explain to people at the little college I went to, that this was the future, and, and somebody just turned to me and was like, no, it's Gopher. And, um, and that's it. I, yeah, I've been building little websites ever since. That's awesome. That's awesome. And um, everyone, there's been a lot going on in the world of tumbling, I would say, this week. We thought we'd start the show out this week talking a little bit about some relative news stories. And the big hot topic this week was a date that probably will be famous for a very long time, January 25th, and what's been going on in Egypt, and the connection that sort of the social media and social networks have had to that. So, Paul, what are your thoughts about, um, you know, it's been very interesting for me to hear um, people talk about if it wasn't for... If it wasn't for social media, the Egyptians wouldn't have had any way to, you know, connect with each other. Um, what do you think about that? Well, I mean, you know, I, I kind of want to start out and just proclaim my, my total fundamental ignorance on 
what's actually going on in Egypt uh, and and sort of how the yeah there's been some ac- just some sort of great writing. I'll look for a piece and put it into the chat. Um, right. You know, there's there's been some really wonderful stuff, not necessarily even about the tech, but about just sort of the social organization and the structure that that uh, just sort of the way that the army interacts with business and so on, and uh, it's stuff that larger media organizations keep writing about, but they kind of they're edging around it. So it's mm-hmm. good to get a it's good to get a just a an understanding of how it's all working. You know, it, it certainly obviously technology is very very critical to this. It's obviously changed the dynamic of how people protest and organize and self-assemble. It seems to have, you know, I don't want to, you know, it could be used right now. It feels to us like it's being used for kind of good, noble purposes. And that's great. And, um, it's just sort of a very interesting thing to observe. I don't think that we can, I, I don't feel any comfort at all that that I could draw a real conclusion at this moment about the use of social media related to these events. It just strikes me that there's so much going on and it's going to be a while before we know what actually happened and how it all played together. You mean you don't want to do sort of a knee-jerk pontification thing that <laughs> I'm being facetious? No, I know, you know? I know. I know I feel bad because I'm, I'm talking live. I should be able to yeah. do that. Don't be silly, because we sort you know of what? No, but actually, it was Twitter. Twitter made this whole thing. Twitter, no, it's, it's yeah, that's it. Yep, I stand corrected. It was all because yeah. of Twitter. Yep. There's yep. actually we're going to find out that Egypt has been on Friendster the whole time, and that. <laughs> <laughs> that's where it, that's where Friendster's popular. It's like Fren- Friendster and Orkut, like those two t- social networks. Right, Orchid in Brazil and Friendster in Egypt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're, we're, the future is not as utopian as we think. It's actually we're replacing geographical boundaries with social network boundaries. So Very every true. country will have their own unique social network. Oh, yeah. What, what, no, what, what it, sorry. What it yeah. is is that the we build a social network that's general and then it bumps into the existing boundaries. That's exactly what happened to Orchid. Orchid was... Right built by a Turkish guy in, in Silicon Valley and somehow took off in Brazil for reasons nobody understands um, and grew there and then like bumped into the edges of the sort of Portuguese language space. Um, and it was much harder to join in again because everyone there was speaking Portuguese and, and behaving in a Brazilian way. And somebody did the same thing in, in um, India and in, um, oh, where was it? So one of, one of a small country in Eastern Europe, um, and it's like the ninety percent social network in these three places, which was really bizarre. And lots of people at Google were trying to understand this, and, and nobody ever did. Yeah, it is weird how some of that's friend. Andrew Hazlitt says the friend freed is huge in Turkey. Who knew? It is. I, I mean, that's the stuff I find fascinating. Like that 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 it's they, growing that, into. It's, that's amazing. Like why? And and I think it's because you have that one super user or that Tumblr who tells all their friends who tells all their friends. Right. Yes, that, that, I mean that's what. So um, Manu at, at Google, I think he's at MySpace or somewhere now, um, went back and looked at the the social graph of Orkut and we tried to work out how this happened. In, in in and it came down to there were these people in 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 Brazil who shared it with their friends and encouraged them to join in and did that. And then there was the other thing that Dana pointed out, which was. Orkut had like a, a league table of which was the biggest country and which was the biggest city. Um, and in, they got big enough that they were able to, um, you know, Sao Paulo was fairly big even compared to San Francisco. And they said, if we get 5,000 more people, we'd be bigger than San Francisco. Can we do this? Tell your friends. And once they'd done that, there was a league table of 
country flags that look like you know like the World Cup league table, and they said if we get enough more people, we can be bigger than America. Um, so, so there, there you this- go. Everything's a game. Everything's a badge, and and user experience matters. <laughs> Feature sets matter, right? That's really what that says, right? If they hadn't put that out there and made it transparent, then people wouldn't have, right? That's awesome. It's just... Well, and you need that sense of national pride to pull that off, too. So that's, Exactly. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing stuff. Well, you know, I wasn't asking, we weren't necessarily asking about sort of the, the to me, what, what hit me this afternoon about Egypt, and I'm curious about your point of view, and it, and it does relate to some of the recent stuff that you've written, is... In a world where we sort of now are discovering the power of the whatever, the commons, the publics, the crowd, you know, mechanical Turk, whatever that sure. may be, it was very sociologically fascinating to me that the that old school media was saying a lot this week, and I'm just picking on them. I don't know if other people were saying it as well, that who is the face of what's going on in Egypt? It's like we pull as human beings for the voice and the face and then the Google executive, um, how do you pronounce his last name? Do you remember, Kevin? Is it Go? I don't actually there's know. A Google, there's a Google exec who unfortunately, who's, who's based in Egypt who unfortunately was detained for a week. And he became, and ironically, he was the one who was one of the organizers around what's going on on the ground there because he organized the Facebook group. I thought that was ironic. Um, and uh, and he's become the face. And, and I thought it was really interesting because we always talk about sort of the human side of tech and the tech side of tech that no matter how much we have the the commons and the, you know, individuals participating, we still sort of pull for someone that represents what's going on. And sure. I was wondering if either of you guys had any thoughts about that or am I blowing smoke, you know? No, I always, I, I think, you know, my, the way I, I think about that is that primates like to look up. You know, we have this sort of thing as monkeys mm-hmm. where we like to kind of just make sure that there's somebody standing on a box that we can look at. And, uh, you know, in this case, like, I, I guess it's Wael Gonim. I'm not quite sure how you pronounce it. Yeah, uh, I know. You, know, you know, this sort of very, very together professional person who is connected in an intimate and professional way with these networks that people are using to communicate. But it doesn't feel, I don't know, I haven't seen enough of him talking. It doesn't feel right. like this is like this. This is more about this guy is, is, a, is sort of an antenna, like he's kind of picking it up and giving it back to people. Um, and, I and like sort of, that. I like the yeah. antenna metaphor. Right. And so I get that sense that there's this real role for people who are good uh, translators of mass opinion and, you know, they can give it a layer of sort of rhetoric and meaning and, and sort of give it back to people so that people can test how they feel against it. And that's a good way to sort of measure where you are in the mob, you know? So I think that maybe there's some of that going on. Yeah, I think that's a really, I'm pausing in silence because I'm thinking about that, that antenna piece is probably... That skill set is a very central skill set to sort of the community organizer, the Tumblr, the, 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 the community, you know, manager on websites. Don't, don't you think, Kevin, we try to break down what that skill set is? You think that's like a big piece of it? You have to be that antenna? Well, you or have to there, be very sensitive to the mood. And, and if you can sum that up, that helps. Uh, so a lot of it is about setting the tone of, of what the, the conversation is going to be. But as you say, there can be someone who can sort of seize on that and, and say, this is where we're going. And then you can battle over that. Um, I, was, um, I was looking at the, the Open Rights Group um, Foundation 
documented leaks for something else I was looking at. And, Do you want to say what the Open Rights Group is? So, so the Open Rights Group is it's a bit like the English EFF. It's a, um, a digital rights organization in the UK that was set up about five years ago. Um, and with the process of, we said, if a 1,000 people will pay £5 a month to support this, well, we'll set the organization up. Um, and the process of doing that, there was, a, there was then a huge debate about, well, who's going to actually do this and how do you define legitimacy and what's going on here? And there was a lot of sniping um, about, well, you, you lot have said you're going to take our money and then what are you going to do with it? Um, and the, the way that was resolved was people said, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to incorporate and set up an office and hire a couple of people to talk and recruit people who understand this thing and, and go from that. But there was, there was there's this sort of weird conversation with people who were saying, um, who, you're not democratic enough. And then the, the response was, okay, do you want to join in this organization? He said, no, I'm too busy to join in the organization. Um, and it's like, well, if you're too busy to help, but you're not too busy to hinder us, what are you doing here? Um, and that, and that, there's, there's that thing that happens to any of these, these organizations. There are people who turn up and try and you know, exploit them for their own ends or just heckle. And then there are people who say, okay, what can we do that's productive? And it's the second group that ends up being the tumblers and being the people who, who make things work, I think. You know, there's a weird ancillary point there, though, which is that, like, this revolution, somebody who's writing about it, pointed out that, um, oh, it was a link on Metafilter to a guy, I believe, at the BBC, and he just sort of pointed out that there's a very different dynamic here where you can go kind of protest for a few days or for a day, and then you can take a day off. You can go home, and then you can go back to the square and protest some more. And so you don't have this need for full-time sort of revolutionary... Uh, focus like you used to in a popular movement like this. You don't have to yes. protest all the time. Because you can and hand so, it over, yeah. Right, and so I think that that's a sort of you know, because I, you know, those kind of, the that sort of discussion that you're just, that you were just describing, when you have this context where people can just kind of get a get a text message and go, you know what, I am going down to the square today. Today's, today's right. that day. It just seems to change that up a little bit. It's, so, it's, it's a weird era. Well, that was the thing. Corey, Corey Doctorow wrote about this in, in The Guardian um, in response to Yevgeny Morozov's um, set, you know, debunking of the Twitter revolution yes. type conversation. And Corey said, well, no, of course Twitter isn't causing this revolution, but it is making it easier to organize. When we had to print flyers and staple them to lampposts, when we had to make telephone trees, when we had to have people running around knocking on doors, it was much harder to get, the, get to the level of... Um, expansion that you can do now because we can contact each other via, you know, even via email, let alone via social networks where people can, can um, forward it to other people much more easily and the act of forwarding itself is visible. Right. Yeah, it's sort of the real-time. It's interesting because the, it's the real-time revolution. The fact that you can, it's not only that you can get a text message, it's probably also the fact that you can follow it when you're not in the square. So, mm. uh, you know, the, the, the fact that it's always on in a way that, it, that you can follow someone's tweets and see what's going on in this way, that, the, that despite, you know, shutting off the Internet and everything, that the media is anywhere, it's like you can, keep, you can keep your finger on the pulse of what's going on by not being there. So, therefore, you can dip in when you want to. Well, and think about the protests in the, in the square as being a kind of Facebook unto itself, right? Like, like you're basically, you know, we're having a blog. You know, you're going to go check in. You get text messages. You... You receive all these communications and, and tweets and posts, and then you go, oh, okay. You know, and basically where, 
where people like us who are not involved in a revolution, who are in sitting in chairs, go, oh, I better update my blog with that. You go, oh, I, I'd better go down to the square and do some more protesting. Yeah, it's, it's really it, – it, it, that's an interesting dynamic, like you said, ancillary, that, that I hadn't thought of until mm. you brought that up. I like that. It's like a live Facebook. It's like yeah. life imitating digital. <laughs> I like you know, that. it's funny. It really is, though. That is a weird thing. Like, I mean, I think that that model, that self, weird self-arranging model that that we've started to take for granted as just sort of a side effect of networks. And you know, I mean, it's if you look at mm. the history of, um, you look at the history of the Telegraph. Or for me, it's actually how vaudeville arose out of out of variety. And all of a sudden, you had these booking agents sending telegrams along railways, and that allowed a po- you know like a popular medium to arise. Like there's these sort of precedents for these crazy self arranging networks going back now hundreds of years. But but now it seems that we have the model of the network is kind of internalized. Like if you say to people, we're going to throw a bunch of people together, and they're all going to be connected. You know, you have the infrastructure kind of at hand and almost for free. And so arranging yourself into a live Facebook in the middle of Egypt doesn't feel as weird. Yeah, the concept of, of just showing up and, and organizing. It's, it's, it, I mean, it's sort of maybe sacrilege for me to say, but I, I, all politics aside, I kind of wish I was in the square just to watch that self-organizing, you know, mood and, you know, uh, what, how people are connecting and who it, I mean, cause I'm always fascinated with all the stuff we're not. Who are the people who are literally putting up the barricades or tweeting out the stuff, you know, the stuff you're not gonna see that you, that you can only right. get when you're on the ground. The, the, and it's all those subtle little details that enable those things to happen. Right. Well, but what's, what's great is that we're actually getting more access to process. I mean. Right. You know, I mean, you're, I, I feel that way too. Like I look at those pictures and I'm like, oh my God, like, you know, that, that is, that's huge. you know, truly history, like flat out. Oh, there you go. That's how, and, and it's true. It's like, I remember that moment. I mean, I was older than I should have been, but I remember realizing like war is not like this line going across the map. It's like a bunch of people in, in outfits with guns doing stuff and tanks and you know it's sort of all these things getting moved around and taken away and people dying and people being scared and so you see like seeing that i think what's weird is there's all this sort of ambient media where you do see the process and it's going to be interesting because i mean people learn from that you know they're going to be able to look at how this thing self-arranged and i mean that's it that's yeah for better for good and for bad right yeah i mean the government Smart. Um, you just played too much Stratego as a kid. <laughs> no, no, exactly. No, that's the opposite. I never did. And then I was like, all of a sudden I'm reading about war and I'm like, what is it? I, I, I just didn't know. Or too so. many sort of B-movies where, you know, the columns go across an old map. That's you know? what I'm talking about. Yes. Sometimes. That's yeah, what I was envisioning when you were talking about it. Yeah. No, it's like Writers of the Lost Ark, you know, and they just the, 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 the plane is flying with a line and you're like, oh, okay. That's, I mean, that's sort of how I imagined it. Exactly. So it, it really, it, you know, it's um, it's, it's sort like of the one of, of Casablanca, where you see the the, yes. the, the lines zigzagging across Europe. Yes. I like right, how you. The, I like how you bring in the original, and and Paul brings in the the yeah. The, the, exactly. <laughs> it's meta and then sub meta. <laughs> well, that's cause, that's because I'm only nineteen. But right. the uh, yeah. no the um, I'm actually sixty five oh, years. <laughs> Oh, we're in terrible trouble. You're um, just a wise soul, Kevin. Yeah. I, get, oh, I, 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 I do get this online. I had this, I had this 
weird thing years ago when I started doing um, text chat conversations, um, people assumed I was about 30 years older than I was just because I, I used longer words. It was, it was very bizarre. God damn British education. <laughs> there you go. Did we cut you off from a thought there, Paul? No, no, I haven't had a thought in hours. In hours. <laughs> At least not an original one. So, yeah. so I mean, I, I, we literally could talk about the process and all this stuff in Egypt forever and the human side of it. And, and, and frankly, I think um, Heather would even do a better job on the, the emotive parts of it. Um, the other – but I want to keep us on schedule on the other – kind of big news which probably relates more to some of your former day jobs is the you know woohoo AOL's buying everything and this week they bought uh up the Huffington Post the I don't know what the largest independent group blog <laughs> if you want to call it that on the planet and uh it's kind of fascinating i feel like we're we're all old enough that we can say everything old is new again you know mm-hmm. things getting bought you know first it was time warner by AOL and all that so is this is this the end of independent blogging? She asks facetiously, or what do we think this means for free content? Well, I don't, you know, I, I Huffington Post. I mean, it's. Yeah. Does anyone know how old your average Huffington Post reader is? It doesn't. I don't feel that like twenty <laughs> something. Old, or ancient, over thirty. So it's a good feeling. AOL. Now I get it. Yeah, no, I mean, there yes. really is. A, there's a <laughs> there's a certain <laughs> element to the the Huffington Post where the people who send you the links and talk about the Huffington Post, like maybe they don't walk with a cane, but they're not. They don't feel like the up and coming generation of young independent in, internet thinkers, right? Right. It's not. It's not global voices. <laughs> right. Right. And I just sort of like. I mean, basically, when I saw that deal, I went into a spreadsheet and I went, all right, three hundred fifteen million dollars and this many page views, and it's like, well, they need to generate about. You know, between if you think about the money, it's going to be between three to ten billion clicks on three hundred by two fifty banner ads to make that work. And can they do that? Maybe. You know, and it's it just seems like sort of like that. I mean, we should you know bring Kristen Crumlish in and and put him on the spot. Um, oh, but, he's uh, he's the user experience guy. I don't want to put him on the spot. Well, but he's you know. <laughs> yeah, you're right. He's going to have to make <laughs> could, it work. He's going to have to make it work. He's going to have to bring it all, knit it all together. Knit it all, um, knit it all together. Yeah. No, so I, mean, I don't know. It just looks like another big business decision by AOL. Who I AOL doesn't really communicate an overarching strategy that I've been able to understand. No, uh, but it's made a bunch of people we know some good did, money. Did, I'm happy for them. People we like—they they released an internal <laughs> memo this week, which was which explained what their strategy was, and it was always they, very distressing. And, and it was SEO and revenue per article and. Right. So oh, right. And it was like these instructions to the editors and all that. You know, yeah, you totally bring up a good point. I mean, it, it became, it, 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 it is not, Huffington Post has not, nor was it going to be, even if it stayed independent, going to be this sort of new, you know, the how to save publishing new way of people communicating and getting media. Uh, it was always, the, uh, I think Ariana did a brilliant job and, you know, at, a, at the right time, you know, with po- politically and having a bent of being able to sort of take what was going on in the blogging world and make a big media, relatively sp- Speaking, a big media company out of it. I mean, AOL is a huge oh, sure. conglomerate. So I think I think you're right in that regard. I think um, I think it's uh, you know it's it's interesting. That, I mean, just to it to me, I was wondering when I saw her title. <laughs> this is so mean. I was like, wow, does that mean that Ariana is now the boss of Michael Arrington? I was, that was about so it came through. Yes, well, I think does. everyone everyone has that fantasy. 
<laughs> everybody wants everybody wants to hear that meeting. And, and yes, I, like, I want. I really, really want to be a fly on the wall yeah. for that meeting. Oh, yeah. it just sounds great, you know. And yes. and and sooner or later, that will that will creep out exactly how that's going, and that'll be fun. We'll have yeah, fun. Yeah, well, with- it'll be it'll be crept out by Mr. Arrington himself. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he'll he'll go into his own meeting with a secret camera turned on or something. You know him. That's hey, right. Hey. No, just watch watch the um, Huffington Post crunch base profile. Like just for like <laughs> horrible swear words appearing by her name. I know, I know. You know, in the pre-show, we were talking a little bit, and I thought our producer Andrew asked a great question: Do we think Ariana is a tumbler? Yes, and clearly. Explain. Well, explain well, why. Well, she's how no. is she not Rupert Murdoch or Tim Armstrong or how is she different than? I mean, what made Ariana um, what made a tumbler as opposed to just a CEO? What made having to post work was she said, um, "Hi, people, come and post stuff on the web." Um, to her dinner party guests and her and her, you know, the people that she'd been schmoozing. Um, originally through political campaigns and things, but also just through doing stuff like you know host, hosting parties and things like that, um, and got all these sort of somebody was slightly mean about B-list celebrities on the, on the on the list, but got all these people to say, oh, I could I could do this blog thing too, and she you know she actually recruited a bunch of people to blog, um, some of whom you know came back and and wrote interesting things and and started to, to draw stuff in, and 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 in some ways she made it. Um, a plat, you know, a way to amplify something you were posting anyway. So, you know, for, you know, friends of ours like Jeff Jarvis will post on the Huffington Post because it has higher circulation than his own blog. Right, right. And Rushkoff wrote a little piece about about that this week, where he talked about that. Um, right. right, but see, I I wouldn't call that. From what I understand, I, I wouldn't call that. Um, uh, call that I, it, I wouldn't call tumbling. I'll tell you why. It, it's. Um, to my mind, and this is because I don't understand really what tumbling is just yet. I'm, I'm still no, working no, on that. It's okay. We're still working on it as well. We'll explain okay. more. It's been 52 Here's, weeks and we're still working on it. Well, totally it, to succinctly explain sort of yes. the, the skill set and take apart when someone is or isn't a tumbler. You know, it, 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 it's kind of like porn. You know it when you see it. <laughs> you know? right. so here, here's what I would argue, though, and this is just, just sort of based on a long personal experience with a lot of people in this space. What Ariana Huffington has done is taken – so to me, a lot of this stuff comes down to territory. And the interesting thing about the web is that you don't have to own a territory. And in fact, some of the most powerful and interesting people are people who create a territory and then give other people ways to experience and explore and create spaces inside of that territory. And that's why you see a lot of fighting over like, why can't I get my data out of out of Facebook? You know, Because that feels – People are personally kind of offended and a little scared of that. And when I see, first of all, it's called the Huffington Post. It's not about you. It's not about the user. <laughs> that and is, what, this, you know, that is the number one way you are not a Tumblr. To be fair, you know, right, right. So when basically, you put yourself front and center ahead of the community. So you're right. I mean, I think so, what, so, she, what she did was define a space, mm-hmm. right? That that would attract people and get them to give. She could take all their surplus labor and put it under her own name. And eventually right. sell it for $300 million in cash plus $15 million in what I guess you'd call AOL stock um, to, <laughs> you know, in exchange for this, this property with her name on the top. And so I, that to me is sort of like, I'm thinking a lot about sort of how would you create a publication that is sort of web first principle. And it, it's, this was not, commu- this was not necessarily built community first. It was built sort of 
Ariana in, in partnership with the community, maybe Ariana in charge of the community, but it wasn't built like, I think about somebody like Jessamine West over at Metafilter. Right. Right? Like that's right. a person who she serves and works for the community in a very explicit way and has a sort of classic librarian's ethos and how she does. I mean, that whole crowd over there, right? I love those guys. Okay. And so, and so I don't see that same ethos here. Um, I do see an ethos that allowed her to sell a media property with her name on it for $315 million. So I just sort of feel that that's a, it's a different deal. Yeah, I think what you're pointing out is really good. I, I was, while you were explaining it, I was thinking, you know, to a certain degree, she ha- probably has some really good skills as a networker. Sure. Um, and, and we should probably be, and, and even maybe a Tumblr, because I've heard her speak and she does do a really good job of making you feel like you should, you know, Catal- I mean, one of the definitions, the literal definition of a Tumblr is someone who catalyzes others to action. And sure. Tumblrs were actually the people who were hired at weddings to get people to dance or at the Borscht Belt where they didn't only perform on stage, the comedians, but they hung out all week with the people right. who are guests. So right. she, So I would actually separate probably her personality from her product. But even even in her personality, she's probably more. And this is where it becomes very subtle. And we've mentioned we we name names here on the show, and you know we've mentioned others who are great at getting community to buzz around them, mm-hmm. because they understand the interactivity and engagement that has to happen in a web based kind of world today. But that doesn't necessarily make them tumblers because they're still in the center, and it's it's sort of their. You know, so I don't get the case. sense she doesn't plane. hang out with the guests. You know, she's no. not sort of like no. cutting a slice of cake or sitting down at the table and going, you know, I think it's much right. more like there's a come to me thing, which is that always, you know, I sort of, I look at publishing a lot as an industry where the classic thing with publishing to me is that everyone in publishing expects you to approach them on your knees. Like you're just sort of like, I'm a writer or I need a job. Or, you know, there's that sort of like, you're supposed to humble and abase yourself. And that's part of the process. And I've done it. That's how you do things. And I think there's a little of this here. It's like, Oh my God, let me, I want to get close to her. She's famous and important as opposed right. to sort of what the decentralized that? thing. Well, this was the classic con of media, which was that media was the, the concentration point so therefore, all these young, keen people would come and abase themselves and do things for nothing um, with the hope of getting onto the, 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 the escalator for later. Um, and that was yeah, you know, very was much a... the media model 20, 30 years ago. And people are still doing that, sure. Well, there's boundaries. There's a territory that you're desperate to be part of because you feel that there's power. Once you're, once you're in the club, you're going to get some power and control and ability to influence things. But I don't get the sense that younger people, in the same way, are as worried about that. They want access just because they want to get the word out of the stuff they're doing. But then they're like, well, but I could also fund it on Kickstarter. I mean, it's just like they don't, I don't just, I don't get the sense that that model, uh, the model that she is putting forth is probably something that can sustain. I don't know if there can be 10 years from now another Huffington Post. Right. And, and someone pointed out in our chat room that, you know, it is different than what happened to Slater Salon. Right. For for timing, right. who, who knows? A million right. could be a million reasons, right? Um, and we have joining us in our chat room, and I know you guys know each other, Christina Halverson. Hey, she's sitting yeah. in SFO. Uh, oh, I'm so glad that you decided to join us. That's awesome. She's been a guest as well, Ms. Content Strategy. So I know this is weird for people listening to the not live 
feed <laughs> to our <laughs> iTunes podcast. You know, in, in trying to stick to time, I wanted to, you know, I think those were the two big news stories of the week. And I would love, you know, the post that, that has, you know, gone around the world that you wrote recently is um, <laughs> something that really relates to tumbling. And, you know, it's the web is a customer service medium. And I'm, I'm curious to hear you explain sort of the impetus for writing it and maybe even summarizing um, in your own words what it's about. Um, sure, sure be glad to. Uh, I've got bonos on the chat. That's really intense. Well, it's, uh, sorry, ignore that. Um, <laughs> wow, thanks for joining, dude. How was Davos? Yeah, that's awesome. Cool. That's really it's too bad people aren't on live. Yeah, I know, um, man. You see the people you miss. Uh, in early January, I uh, I sat down and wrote a piece um, that I wanted to just sort of get it out uh, about how because I, I deal with a lot of people in publishing and I, I sort of get buttonholed a lot um, and and the people will tell me how much they love books and how important things certain things about publishing are to them. There's a there's a quote in the top of the piece if you go to my site which is ftrain.com. It's it's uh, like the second one down called the web is a customer service medium, and it's this woman. Um, was writing in uh, in a blog um, called Shelf Awareness, and she and, and it's just sort of arch- it, it just ex- it's what I hear a lot. It's it's she's writing. You know, books are not product. Books are creative endeavors, as individual and singular as any work of art. They cannot be tweaked as if they are idling wrong, and sort of on and on. And the problem is when you work in publishing, it's like my God, books are products. Like that's that's what happens. Like you know. Uh, bestsellers are incredibly important. It's, it's how everyone survives. They need to move a certain number here. And it's, it, you know, publishing is kind of a big distribution network. And, um, so sort of becoming aware of that over the years and also like, you know, having written a novel and tried my hand at, at the sort of creative side as well. Uh, I wanted to just put down what I thought about all that. And I sort of refer to those people in my head as the, the guten bourgeois. People I love for- that expression. Thank you. Thank you. Now, I just sort of people for whom, like, uh, you know, who are, feel maybe a little bit above the web and a little bit above the, the you know, the throng and, uh, and who just are like, ah, eh, you know, they, they really privilege print and they really care about print. And I think a lot of days I'm one of them, but a lot of days I'm not. A lot of days I'm like, you know, we just need to, uh, we need to actually sort of figure out what's going on and, and not try to hold on to something that has passed. And so um, just to sort of sum it up, I, I have this theory that every medium has a fundamental question that it answers. Like TV, uh, what TV does is, is you're sitting around the house going like, I need to make this more interesting. I'm just sitting here on the couch and you, you, you know, how can I make this more interesting? It's like turn on television or you're like, I'm, I'm driving or I'm showering or cleaning the floor. I'm a little bored. What do I do? You turn on the radio. It's going to make that, you know, if you're washing the dishes, um, turning on the radio will make things more interesting. So I think the fundamental question of the web is why wasn't I consulted? And if you read the piece, you, I, I think I, I laid out as, as my, my thinking has not uh, developed much further from what I, what I wrote there. Basically, if you look at comments, if you look at how people interact online, it is that fundamental urge to reach out and go, hey, times a billion kind of explains the internet, both the good stuff like Wikipedia and the bad stuff like That's YouTube. That's great. Hey, a billion. Yeah. And yes. So, yeah. And, and, and so basically, uh, so what kind of medium do you have then? You know, really, if you, have, if you have this sort of fundamental urge for people to reach out, like people reach out and they yell and they scream and they say, what about me and what about me? Um, 
what kind of medium is that? Because it's different than, than the other ones. Even though the web is a really good medium emulator, you can make it look like a newspaper, you can make it look like a, a TV, you know, which is Hulu and so on and so forth. Uh, I would just argue that the web is absolutely fantastic for uh, customer service. It is a customer service medium. It is a, it's a tool that you can use to uh, communicate and create. And so the question actually that I, I leave people with and that I keep thinking about is how do you create, okay, so how do you create great experience? Like that's something that a lot of people are talking about. But what I keep thinking about is like what is art? Like what is, what, what is creativity? What is weird stuff that people can do in a customer service medium? Like what, is, what, are, the, what are the new forms that will be equivalent to the novel or the painting or the sitcom. I mean, you know, just that, that people can work within to figure out how to do creative work online. And that is a summary of my blog post. Uh, well said. And I love the fact that, you know, the, 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 I will channel Heather here because I think a lot of her work and a lot of what we talk about here, and we've had a few artists on the show, is, you know, that people formerly known as the audience. It's, right. it's that realization when you wake up that, wow, the people in the room might be just as funny as me if I'm a comedian. Or the people in the room have just as good a thing to say as I might. So how do we jointly create together? Or, but, but see, that you know? I, I hear that, or they might not. And or I, they might not, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I, that's why I said might. That's why I said yeah. might. We're not uber-utopian about it. Well, this, I mean, this reminds the conversation we had with um, Teresa Nielsen-Hayden. Um, right. Sure. Who who is a publisher now, but she started out as a fanzine author um, sure. and then embraced the web as, as very much part of, of, of her medium. But her role is to is to find the voices that add to the conversation and, and suppress the ones that don't. Um, and she does this whichever medium she's working in. She does this when she's editing science fiction for Tor. Um, she does it when she's commissioning articles for Tor.com. And she does it when she's moderating comments on her own blog or on Boing Boing um, by – this sort of weird alchemy of um, finding the people who are adding to the conversation and encouraging them and subtly discouraging without being mean to the people who are, who are de- destroying it. And, and watching that in action is, is a wonderful thing. And I think you know, if, if I was going to pick someone who, who has the, the art of, of, of this new medium that, that you talk about, I think Teresa would be, would be right up there. Oh, no, absolutely. I, I totally agree with you. I'd sort of, you know, in the same way when I was talking about the Metafilter folks, like that sense of like, right. we're, going to, we're going to take this enormous stream of, of, of conversation and we are going to actually not edit, not edit individual posts, but sort of edit the thing in motion and tap people on the hand and say, no, I was talking um, not long ago to Corey Sika of The All and... Um, you know, he does a lot of back-channel communication mm-hmm. to, to settle people down. Yes. Can you explain The All to those listening who may not be familiar with it? TheAll.com is a, looks, could, you might think it's a blog, but it's actually becoming a very, very interesting uh, magazine about culture that is updated many times a day, mm-hmm. run, by a, run by a few people. And uh, I'm just a huge fan. I'm a big fan of Corey as well. Um, I was talking to someone actually just the other day at, uh, who used to be at, NPR and is now sort of doing his own podcast. And we were talking, you know, and the thing with that is like it's going very well. He's got many thousands of users um, or listeners. But um, what's weird about it 
is that he had like, you know, 10, 20 years, I don't know exactly how long, at NPR to, to learn his craft. Like a lot of those people started mm. by cutting tape with a razor blade, you know. And so right. there's this fundamental ability that they're able to go out and translate into a pretty big audience and a lot of skill. And I think about that and it's like, and it's really, it's great because here it's like they're bringing that to the web, they're opening it up. It's no longer as driven by the constraints of the larger organization. But I also feel that there's this weird cost incurred when you're doing something in a medium like this where it's, it is two-way. It's that if you're serious about it, you actually start to become responsible for educating people on the right ways to do it and the right ways to behave and helping them sort of come up in the medium. And I really don't know what the right ways are to do that. I just sort of feel that that's a side effect. Like, it's one of the reasons I've been glad to, you know, I'm, I'm a very new teacher. So at the School of Visual Arts, I'm teaching a class in content strategy at the Interaction Design Program. And uh, I'm still learning how to teach, but I feel very seriously that it's like, if I'm going to keep talking about this stuff, I have to figure out ways to help other people understand what, it, what exactly I'm doing. Yeah, and that's and that's part of like why we sort of were sitting around and you know, how do we break you know, how do we break down the the pieces that do make some of these places work and some of them not? And right. and you and it, and it and it ain't gonna be a new algorithm. As much as we all love technology, you know, uh it, it's it's always gonna come down to people. Um and and you know, sometimes it's culture, sometimes it's you know, when um Katarina jumps in first and talks to everybody who puts a photo up on Flickr. You know, right. sometimes it's what goes on behind a meta filter. And I think what we're running up against, right, is this scale issue where businesses think you just throw it up and it happens. I mean, the quote that I love that Teresa has brought up, and Kevin, I'm surprised you didn't mention it before, is that sometimes the best ideas for new stories come from the comment section. That's the other part. Yes. I mean, the other part yeah, of... Yeah, Kevin. Kevin, where were you? Yeah, damn it. He was too busy chatting with Bono in the chat room. Yeah, he was there. Chat room. They, they were talking about UK and colonialism. Well, to, oh, Teresa's, my God. Prince is there now. Sorry, go ahead. Teresa's point was that journalists were so used to this we publish, you read model um, that when there's an interesting story, what she does is she goes and finds the local newspaper where the story happened reads the story and then reads the comments page and she always finds rich new information that the journalists have ignored from the local people who are commenting on the story. Sure. Um, and the, because the journalists are not used to that idea of, of having a conversation with their audience, uh, they're, they're missing this, this information. Well, I think it's not, just, it's not just that they're not used to it. There's actually, I, my, the catch, the, the term I've been trying to I've been throwing around in my head is the anxiety of the commons. Like I just sort of, and I feel that a lot. Like there's this sort of <laughs> I like, right. I mean, we all do. We're, we're on this thing. There's a chat going on live and it's kind of terrifying, but we've all gotten a little bit used to it. I know that people can say terrible things about me or tell me I'm a complete moron and they're welcome to in the chat right now. And I will just go like, Oh, well, you know, and, and that's, that's fine. But I think like if you're not used to it, it feels scary. It feels like those yes. people are trying to get into your house. And it really does. Like I, when I talk to journalists and I talk to people who are not used to this community, it's like this, maybe that's why zombies are now big is because of the internet. Like it's what zombies look like. That, you know, that people, when they think about the internet, they think about that. They think about sort of like mindless things uh, pounding on your windows, which honestly, <laughs> like if you look at YouTube comments, is very fair. Like it's, that's, that's what it looks yes. like. But, but it's, 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 
It's, I call it the tragedy of the comments. Um, the, the problem is if your comments aren't actually, you know, you don't have a, a way of dealing with people there, um, then the, the sort of the myth of the tragedy of the commons actually comes true because you have a space that doesn't have any social structure around it. Right, um, and, and there's that, no that, editing that the of that space. Yeah, there's no moderation. It's re- literally like people dump, back a dump truck up to a site and just like pour, you know, just they, they push the back of the truck up and just dump a pile of community on every page. And it's, um, <laughs> and it's about as useful. I mean, it ruins things. I just, I've seen like just terrible, you know, just a, a friend of mine just put a piece in the New York Times online and it's just like, the level of the commenting is, is ridiculous. Like it, it's just complete ignorance spewed out over page after page. And it's just, there's no, no basis in fact, no basis in, it, it's often very mean. And you're just like, what the hell does this do for anybody? Well, uh, um, yes, and I'll, and I'll chime in on two points. The other night I caught the end of, uh, I was streaming it, but I caught the end of uh, John Stewart this week, sort of what did a whole back and forth <laughs> with, you know, O'Reilly around the comments and the, the nastiness online, on, uh, you know, on sites. And it was, in, it, was, it was funny. I can't do it justice, so you can get online and look at it. But, you know, exactly what you're talking about, I, I, I find myself of late, and it's very gratifying to hear you talk about it, getting really highly cynical about the web and a lot of a lot a lot you know you, you joked about when you used to be online in, in this quiet corner and then this big thing happened right and now people send you like please link to my site you know kind of stuff right. it, i think we're, we're forging what i call like a new social contract online well and I, and i think what you know that anxiety of the commons that people get away with so, i mean i'm doing my talk at south by this year on it it's dear miss manners wtf social media it's right. like we we don't i mean and when i wake up on the wrong side of the bed it's what the fuck people like you know it's like get out of my activity stream stop being an ass or right. when i wake up on a good side it's like okay we really need to understand you know i'll give a a a a benign example is it okay for me to ignore and never respond to emails when people send them to me you know we don't know what the new social um rules are you know and it's it's too new and that's and that's the problem the is that people People, it's like you, you sort of want to behave like you're in this nice suburban neighborhood and there's, there's people yeah. like you're, you're walking out in the morning to get your paper and there's your neighbor and he's, he's watering his lawn and you, you know, you wave and, and, and he or she waves back and, and that's all very nice. And you don't go into their house. Like you don't go to their right. house and go, I hate your sofa and your children are really leaving a lot to be desired. And yet people online just have that tendency to be like, wait a minute, what are you talking about? There's no door here. Um, excuse me. Excuse me. Yeah. You know, and, and, um, I'm marching right through and I'm sitting down and I'm going through your freezer and I'm eating your ice cream. Exactly. And that's (laughs) where I'm sort of like, there's (laughs) unless you channel that. And what I would argue, uh, this is sort of in the the piece about the anxiety of the commons, right? Is the, is it form is how you solve that? Like you create a community and then you create forms that that community can use. And I mean, forms actually in in both senses in sort of like structured forms, but also sort of web forms. Like, you know, one of the reasons, forms, yes. Yeah, like Twitter's interesting because it's it's uh, it's only 140 characters, and out of that resistance in the material, there's a great quote from uh, William Morris, arts and crafts guy from uh, late 1800s in Britain. Um, oh God, said, that was it. He trumps you, ha, Kevin, ha, ha. Sorry, you did the first <laughs> British quote of the evening. Uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> no, that's he, no, no, that's good. I, Thank you. I so have much. some of his wallpaper somewhere. Yeah, carry on. Exactly, oh, exactly. <laughs> Kelmscott Press is sort of really gorgeous, interesting artwork and, and and creative work as as both sort of craft and art. 
and uh, he said that you can't have art without resistance in the materials. That it's sort of like you know the the size of the page, the shape of the you know the, the way that oil paint works, works versus watercolor or whatever. And so, I just sort of feel very strongly uh, that when you're developing a community, you want to think about what the actual materials are because there's so much space you can give people, and you can it can get it's sort of emotional space and intellectual space and and moral space. And if you draw some lines, both in how you seed the community and who are the who are the preliminary members and moderators, and also in how you structure the interface so that yes. certain things are ordered or not. What I see is a lot of stuff like, I mean, Quora uh, is trying really hard to like kind of beat people into into good behavior. Um, Stack Overflow has very strict had it just changed, but it had very strict rules about who could jump on and when, and. Um, that to me is is sort of that William Morris thing. That's that's resistance to the materials. Do you think we we talked briefly in a previous show about Quora? It's very interesting because one thing that I think is missed a lot in this in in the in this web world we're living in is that sometimes people go, "Isn't this just like X?" Right? You know, you can go back to blogging. Isn't that just like a website that gets updated a lot? Or Flickr, how is that different than Photo Jojo? Or Facebook, right. how is it different than Friendster? And what I try to often tell people is that little iterative difference sometimes, A, either because of a feature or B, because of the first people who stepped in there, therefore our culture was started, whether it be because you've got great Teresa Nielsen Haydens in there or Matt Howie's or Jessamine's or because it just sort of became that nice community or, or, or functioning. I don't want to use the word nice, good functioning community. Right, right. And what I've been hearing about Quora lately a lot is how is it different than Yahoo Answers? How is it different than everything that comes before it? And, you know, if you asked me and I had to walk into a room of business people, I couldn't make the distinction that it's different, but it seems to be the hot new thing and it, and it is a little different. And, and I think that's the thing. It's sort of like walking into a room and saying, how is that person different than that person? Because <laughs> right. they bring it, right? You know? They well, bring I like their to different look, experiences with them. I, you know? And I like to look at the fundamental features, right? Like sort of right. you know, Quora has all these sort of Ajaxy things going on. It has a, a real a, you know, sort of very flexible, fast tagging system. And you know, each feature is just a reaction to all the features that came before. I mean, it's they're kind right. of, to me, the features like the fundamental text of, of everything we're talking about like if i have my if i have my dream i will i would start a magazine called the new york review of features right and and, <laughs> yeah, and that is, you should do well I'm, i have I'm, I, I have a serious. url registered no I, i'm serious too well but it's serious heart- it's like it's like what laura fitton does with with twitter like she has a, a directory of twitter apps you know we need filter that's a curation engine right. for today right we need that no, Exactly. And sort of what is the community that can arise around that and what is the editorial that you would create? And so trying to figure out how that works and how to make it inclusive, it's a fun thought puzzle while I don't work on it. And a lot of work, I know. I have. Yeah, so. but that's okay. <laughs> but it still, it feels like a good thing to do, right? And, but I, but yes. I really do, th- I, I think that like it's a real challenge. And I, what I'm talking about here is I'm actually saying like, yeah, my God, it's really hard to know how Quora is different from Yahoo Answers. We actually don't have an easy way to express it aside from going like it's gray and the guys who did it were involved with Facebook. Like there's this, right, this focus exactly. on the social environment rather than the actual source text of the thing itself. And then it goes down into, well, it's the cool newest, hottest thing. And, you know, and, I, and again, bad, wrong side of the bed, I will say, okay, Quora, it's really no different than any other answers thing. And then the other side of the bed, I'll say, well, maybe they've learned, right? right. 
Right. Well, and look, I'm fine with either one, you know, but for yeah. me, just that, like, I feel that we have in general, all of us, you don't have the, the language. language it's been about it's been about interaction and about community and not which is really important like that that mm. story is also the fundamental story but there's also yes. this secondary thread about actual just sort of this feature arose and what i like about thinking about features is that at a certain level not really but sort of like a book or like an, a newspaper article or whatever, it's kind of a neutral object at the moment you, you get to it. Like it's kind of up to you what you're going to make of it rather than this like endless thread of comments and discussions and, uh, you know, crunch-based profiles. It's more like, okay, this does this now. And I'm assuming they did that because the thing that came before didn't or the thing that right. came before tried to do it but really sucked at it. And that's interesting. So they're making that choice because they feel that that's going to really make a difference in our culture if they pull it off right. And what the hell does that mean? And so I'm really right. like – I'm trying to puzzle stuff out that way but it's, it's not um, – it's not how we talk about technology for the most part. I, I really like that and in a way it's sort of it, – it's like this – this third wave, right? You know, first it was right about the web and the content. Then it was about the like the features, like you said. And now it's about, or maybe not even the features. I don't know. Now it's about sort of the the subtlety of how the how the how the recipe is put together, right? right? Um, and and we don't have and and I went immediately to we don't have a pattern library for it a la Christian Crumlish or right, you right. know architecture so that's what your new york review of apps should be we need a new language and that's why we struggle talking about tumbling and the social stuff and it's sort of the secret sauce but we have to be able to break it down a little bit more or or we're just going to be We'll we'll just be reduced to that worst, the lowest common denominator. I think. Well, and that's yeah. why I, I think that's why I'm saying like just like the New York Review of Books uses books as a sort of it's the hook for them to right. completely engage with culture, right? And because you can kind of count on books being about being as broad a portrait of the culture as possible, I would actually argue that we're now in this era where apps and features and individual you know pieces of software are as fundamental a reflection of human culture. I mean, Egypt is a great example, yes. actually, as, as, as books ever have been. And this is as someone who loves books and should mm -hmm. probably be writing one. But it's just sort of like there's this action and this thriving ecosystem of, of software objects that are just, you know, sort of coming out of nowhere a lot of times where you're like, oh, my God, look at that. That, that really, that jQuery thing really moves around quickly. And... And there's so much history involved in all of those decisions, even though they're often the decisions are often made by people who are not keenly aware of the history. And so I guess it's probably too because I'm getting older. I just look at that stuff and I'm yeah. like, whoa, wow, that would be a fun thing to think about for 10 years right. if I didn't have to make a living. Gosh, <laughs> damn it. I know. That money thing. Sure. Well, I'm seeing Myers here uh, asking – Yes. Uh, if there's anything on the web as good as Faulkner sentences, which I come on now, that's a kind of you know, that's a great canonical work. Um, Unfair, Myers. Yeah, well, but, I mean, well, this is the, the the Andrew Keen problem. So Andrew Andrew yes. Keen's sort of false <laughs> argument is books are wonderful. They're written by brilliant people, and the web's written by idiots. And it's like, no, there are lots of books written by idiots too, but few of them fewer of them get published. Um, so you're comparing the best of one medium with with the totality of the other one. And this is, you know, the point is that most of everything is crap, um, and you have to wade through it. And you know, Teresa talking about the, the the perils of the slush pile and the stuff that she keeps out of the 
out of print being part of what she does. But that's we're all doing that to the web now. We're all doing this this distributed curation thing where we say that was interesting, that was interesting, and we ignore the rest of it. And that somehow between us, we amplify some things and other things. And we don't always get it right, but neither does mass culture either. Yeah, and I would also say, actually, I mean, there are just thriving communities of people exchanging ideas online. There are is a wonderful poetry community. Okay, so here's a great question. It's like, it doesn't have to be Faulkner, but who is that good? Well, I, you can't, I don't know who's as good as Faulkner on the web right now. I'm actually a huge fan, and there's a, a poet named Ann Boyer who does a website called Odalisqued, O-D-A-L-I-S-Q-U-E-D dot blogspot.com. I think some of her work is some of the more interesting stuff I've read in, in years. Um, you know, I mean, I worked at, at Harper's Magazine for five years where we published people who are, you know, hopefully going to be canonical. And some of them are actually fully engaged with the web, very interested in it. I'm talking with my New York Review of Features idea about with some of them right now. Whether you want them to, whether they are the next Faulkner or not is a big question. Some of them actually do live in the South. But, um, you know, I don't really have a. I, I think that you're gonna. You can set that up all you want, and I can go like, well, I, I can't find you a sentence online that's going to be as good as a sentence from the Sound and the Fury in right this minute. But maybe ten years from now, I actually will be able to look back and go like, that was kind of key. What happened right there? So, I don't know. And and also the concept of I don't know if this is part of that same metaphor, but the concept of you know a discrete work that has that thud factor. Um, Comparing mediums that way to your blog post actually is, is a bad comparison because yeah. one has this flow and is of the moment. And, you know, maybe there are some, maybe there are some brilliant tweets out there that are just as good and contextually were just as important. Um, you know, sadly, they're chronologically oriented and they'll be lost in the river. Right. But maybe they won't be, you know, but it's, you can't put the, the, you know, I, I very often like to talk about the fact that, that, you know, we lost the stories that when, when we started to publish books, we lost the comments that went along with the stories around the campfire. Right. Right. Um, and, you know, the, the comparison I often give, and hey, here's our Jewish reference for the evening, is the Talmud, right, as the first blog post. Because the, the, the actual, you know, work is in the middle, and all the commentaries generationally removed are around the sides. And then, then over the years, this concept of, of a book as the discrete and only thing has become the major thing that we hold up. Whereas before, learning happened in conversa- conversationally and the stories happened back and forth. Grandpa told the story around the fire and the kids asked questions. And so I think that we've had a couple hundred years of the book being the thing only. And, and now maybe we've got more flow. And it's an and, not an or. Different strokes for different folks, different times. But That's I also, I would, I would go back to my argument about form. I would say that forms, right. forms, we don't even know what the forms really are. Like a blog post is a, just a box, right? Like yes. as, new, as new forms emerge, there's going to be new and interesting creative work. The structure in which that creative work can, I mean, first of all, like the web does not necessarily encourage a lot of careful, you know, stepping aside, thinking and working on your art for 20 years because it hasn't been around that long. And there's a, a lot of it's about talking to other people. So there have to be forms that kind of take that into account that might draw into a larger community that might connect to different things. But I just like, I don't, you'd have to, to believe that the web 
can't have real art, can't have really good writing and really good thinking, you'd have to believe that the mass of humanity is much more stupid than it was 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. I don't, I actually think it's better informed than it used to be. Yes, exactly. And so we just have to kind of be patient and, and look through stuff and encourage editors and find money for them, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that's hard. It's not an easy problem. And it's also something that people who are in publishing and in the organizations that were in the business of generating beautiful sentences, it's not like they've been able to go, well, look, let's take half of our money and put that to making sure that the web has a place where we can reward writers and creators. It's not something they've done. Hopefully that's changing. Unfortunately, it looks a little bit more like it's right now. It looks a little more like the Huffington Post. But yeah. So, so we're going to have to figure well, that out. I'd argue, I'd argue that you know, there are other places. You, know, that, that you talked about the all. I've talked about making light. There are places that, that do have a conversation that, it, that, that does have a shared canon, but they're not always the same shared canon. My, my, you know, I, I say that the, you know, the web is Caliban's mirror. What you see is your own reflection. What you see is what you look for. So if you go mm-hmm. looking for nasty, bad things, you'll find nasty, bad things because all human life is there. But you can go through and draw back the, 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 the deeper things, the interesting things, the, and the more powerful things that, that you want to. That, that, that's down to you. You don't nope. have to reinforce the, the noise. No question. I think what I would say, though, is the process is fundamentally different. There's much more of a need in order to thrive online. There's more of a need for churn. And mm-hmm. those, those sentences are not as teased over and as, you know, as played with and thought through um, very often as, as other things are. I see actually much of the same effort that goes into creating a wonderful story goes into not so much a blog post, but into weird little interactive things that I see online. Right. Stuff, stuff written yes. in processing or you know, work by... There's a very interesting community of people who are playing with code and text and ideas. And it takes a long time to get that right. And they have a long time to kind of puzzle it all out and figure things through. The interactive fiction community is really interesting that way too. Mm-hmm. They, they're always up to something. And, um, and so... You know, it's going to take some time to, to figure out what the hell just happened. Um, but I, I do feel that, like, you know, I, it's just, but to me, it really is like the, the blog post, the, the 20 times a day blog post, it's a kind of art, but it's, it's, it's going to be hard to get that kind of elegance of thinking that you get from multiple revisions. Mm hmm. Yeah. Think that, that is true. But I think, you know, we, we can, you know, the, the debate in the, the comments is, can we have a Norton's anthology? Can we have, have you know, uh, a, a Bloom um, review mm. of literature? And um, I say you can, yes. And But the point is you don't have to – we can have several of them and you can choose between them. Oh, you, God, you, wait. You, not, not a Harold Bloom of the web, though. We don't need that. We don't need – Yeah, that's true. <laughs> the, the web. <laughs> that, that's how I hear that. <laughs> That's how I hear that too. That's so funny, and I don't even know what the guy sounds like, or maybe, or maybe. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, uh, it's. But we will sell no wine before it's time. Oh yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. That's funny. That's but 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 Kevin, we understand what you're trying to say. <laughs> the curation aspects of it. Uh, you you know. We are, I'm trying, this is, we could talk about this stuff forever, and I'm trying to stay tight on time. We've already gone over 60 minutes, but I know we had a little break in the middle. So what I'm going to do is, um, 
I would just love to say that I'm going to sign us off this week, and we're going to stay on post-show and chat some more. Is that okay, Paul, for a couple minutes with you? That's fine by me. And what I'd like to do is, before I totally close out the show, ask the chat room if there are any last-minute questions in there. I think what we've sort of come up with here in in an odd way is – you know, that it does come down to this unique characteristic differences and the, the people, when, when the web is a customer service medium mm-hmm. and participation is such a core element of what's happening, the, that those human skills of those who can catalyze, connect, create, whether it's the features or the actual content or the usability are sort of inherent to it. And it's, it's kind of ironic that we have to, you know, that infusing the human back into the process is just as important as we get more technological, if not more so, you know? No, it's very true. It's very true. Oh, I think earlier you were talking about algorithms, sort of hoping that the algorithm would solve everything. And until we get better algorithms, it doesn't, it looks like it's going to kind of be up to us. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's up to us. It's our web. You know, we're, it's up to us to make it the way we want it to be. But I think there are algorithms that can enhance and and retard that. That's the, that's the other half of this. Um, that there is a difference between YouTube and Twitter, um, which they have a similar number of users and comments, um, but the structure of the of the, of the environment may, means that they they feel very different when you use them. Yes, totally, totally understood and agreed. Yes, agreed. And you know, before we sign off, I did want to ask you about one. We're trying to um, do a a new little feature here on Tumble Vision where we pick a site that we think kind of grocks this. Uh, and touches on the, the, the tumbling aesthetic or the human side of the web. And how about, um, I know that you just joined the advisory board of a new site called Readability. Can you tell us a little bit about Readability and what, what drew you towards it? Well, um, I've known some of the people involved for quite a while. And uh, I like read, read what Readability was before the relaunch was a... Um, it, it was a, essentially a bookmarklet that would clean up text that was on a website and make it more elegant and easy to read. Oh, so would it edit Faulkner? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it, would, it would improve Faulkner. Exactly. It would extract the news hole from the New York Times and let you read it. Right, right. right. And in the, right. you know, in the, because actually what, but going back to it, I mean, if Faulkner could have been drastically improved by some JavaScript in line. He really could have. Like, it could have made a lot of things better. <laughs> Regardless. Yeah, so that's, that's basically would. It would tidy things up and make them more elegant. And it's sort of, you know, it's a cousin to Instapaper and stuff like that. And um, so the people at Arc90, which is the company that uh, that's created Readability, have launched a new service. Uh, it's at readability.com. And what it does is you pay into it. And uh, you so you sign up, let's say, $5 a month. And as you read and you put things into readability for the superior reading experience, and now it actually does sync up with Instapaper, uh, so you can have it on your iPhone, this, this stuff you read. Um, as you read and as you save things in, it will then, on a recurring basis, take the money that you've put in and spread it around to the different publishers. Oh, nice. And, so the thing that's interesting about it is instead of an, a tip jar on a per-item basis, now, and they also, readability takes 30% off the top. It's a for-profit business, which is actually something I really like. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I see them doing is that there is this, so this, one of the things that's in the back of my head as I'm looking at the Huffington Post stuff is that, and, and thinking about that AOL memo, which I only skimmed, 
but you know, we, we were talking about earlier and it's it sort of, it's about SEO. And so first of all, the Huffington Post is, is in a sort of loose way, kind of one major Google algorithm update away from total failure. Like if, if all of a sudden Google decided we didn't care about like we don't really care that much about the sort of things they're doing and a lot of their content's coming from elsewhere anyway and not that they'd mm-hmm. ever do it but you know they're sort of really reliant on that the other thing um that strikes me is that there's this community arising around long form journalism um i have a good friend who runs longreads.com right and um his name is mark armstrong uh and um just uh, and, and what he's doing is sort of focusing on finding good long journalism that can get fed into readability or Instapaper or places like that. And so there's just and there's actually many many people doing similar stuff, right? He's right. Kind of, he's one of my favorites, but there, there's sort of like this community arising, and it's, it's people going like, we like we like complicated thoughts put forth in text. We're a big fan of them, and so. What I see readability doing, and, and the reason I, I was excited to be asked to be an advisor, is that they're sort of saying, like, let's all get together, throw, a little, throw some money in the pot, and as we find this stuff and cultivate it, um, let's try to give back out of that. And it, felt very, it feels very positive to me. It feels very, I like that it's for profit. I like that it's about long form interesting mm. narratives and and that's sort of if we're protecting that and maybe giving some money out and and we'll see how it works that might yes. be your way to get to your next faulkner you know that's that's the that's the this sort of maybe utopian fantasy that i have is like if enough people come together and go like we like reading things make exactly. it nice to read things and 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 maybe we don't need all the advertising but i swear to god we'll we'll make it worth your while mr publisher or mrs publisher Mm-hmm. Um, if enough of that comes together, then uh, we could be in a better place where the entire internet is not dominated by the 300 by 250 medium leaderboard ad. Oh, God. Sorry. That's a big sigh. I rue that day. I literally, Sorry, I've actually. Medium rectangle, not medium leaderboard. Me, right. Apologize. Medium rec. I haven't heard the word leaderboard in such a long time. It's still I literally. <laughs> I know. I literally was at a conference where I got to meet the guys at the IAB because in my other my day job, I often talk to big companies and try to teach them how to really understand the things we talked about tonight, as opposed to influencers and scale and all that stuff. And sometimes sticky I feel like eyeballs. Yes, Sorry. yes, yes. Sticky eyeballs. And, and you know what? Some days I feel like you know I'm doing God's work, and other days I feel like uh, I've sold out. But point being that I was standing with them and I turned to the guy and I said, I won't mention his name. I'm like, wow, you know, I actually think that you sort of ruined the internet. (laughs) And he looked back at me. He's like, really? And I'm like, well, you made a lot of money for certain people, but you, it's taking us 15 extra years to sort of try to get back to a semblance of, um, something different. And I don't even mind, like you said, it's not about making it free and non-for-profit. It's about, we got to learn how to stop fitting round pegs and square holes. And well, to and, me, and that's I, what that was. No, and literally. A- I mean, I, I, those ads always appear on the right, which means that you have this tremendous medium that could go, that could scroll horizontally to an infinitude. I mean, you can just, if you could go all the way over, you could have images that are 20,000 pixels wide, but no one could ever do that because their CMS is set up in such a way and they know that they're going to have the, 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 um, 
medium rectangles on the right and that they're not going to be able to kind of route around that. Like there's just these inherent structures right. to the web that are purely arbitrary. And, and based on, I mean, I still say this and, 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 and then we'll shut up, but we call them web pages still. Right. right. They're not, they haven't been, they, they never were pages, but damn, they haven't been pages in right. 10 years. <laughs> you know, I understand in the first five years why we might have called the web pages, but they're not pages. They're flow. And I think, you know, we, and, and, and I'll shut up now. I'll stop pontificating. I'll be, I'll be done now. So no, but I, I, think, I totally agree with that. I mean, I think we're in this, we're, we just, we keep thinking in terms of this long vertical roll of paper that, yes. that might have some ads and maybe a little, I mean, you know, I, it's just, and a tremendous amount of interesting work can be done in a small space. It's not, it's not the worst limit in the world, but, um, you know, it's also weird too. I don't know if you found this. I've always found that advertisers, you'll go, look, you know, we can do all sorts of stuff. As long as we can put the word advertising on top, we can have a giant ad. We can do all kinds of stuff. And they're like, my God, this is great. We're going to work with you. And then about a month and a half later, you come back and you go, okay, we're re- you ready? And they're like, yes, we need about 2 million impressions of 300 by 250 <laughs> medium rectangle ads. And you go, and that guy Christ. got fired. The last guy yeah. got fired. It's just like, okay. And you're like, well, I got to feed, I got to, you know, my cats are going to get hungry. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so you mean I'm not the only one who sometimes feels like she sold out? Well, oh, I call it kiss, yeah. kissing the devil's hoof. You have to do just a little okay. of it. Okay. Okay. So my, 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 my comparison metaphor for that was back in the day when, you know, uh, you design something. I started off as a designer, and you design something really cool. And I was actually at Citibank when we first, you know, helping them get the web on get Citibank dot com going. And at the time, you'd come up with this really cool design for something, and they, the 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 business manager would turn to you and go, "That's really cool." But what we were really looking for was sort of two hands, gender neutral. You can't really tell who they are shaking over a globe. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Oh my god! The globe. And once, and- yeah. Could the globe be an eye? Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, you know, you try to push the envelope a little and, you know. But that's what we're here for, to fight the good fight. It, tumbling is a manifesto. It's bringing the humanity back into the web. And with that, I am going to close our show, not talking about the devil, but talking about fighting the good fight and um, understanding that we still all need to eat mm-hmm. and thank our guest paul ford who you can find at ftrain.com who writes occasionally there and in other places and as building cool stuff on the web understanding its true nature and please join us next week when our guest is going to be molly steenson Molly, another early web chick who is doing a lot of work around the new digital city. And make a note that we are going to be going a half an hour later next week. We are going to start at 5.30 Pacific Time, 8.30 Eastern Time. And you can find us on the web at TummelVision.tv and Kevin Marks on Twitter and at Debs on Twitter and at F-Train on Twitter. So, Sayonara all. We'll be seeing you soon. And next week, Heather will be with us. Ciao. Tumble out. <laughs>